The following podcast was recorded on June the 9th, 2020. Remember, Black Lives Matter. What's up, everybody? Ray Ray's Fundamental Podcast, episode 117. My name is Ray Ray. No frills, no nothing fancy. We're just going to go straight into it. My guest is the founder of Black Sports Online, Robert Littal. It's been a while since we actually had an extensive conversation. So, first of all, how are you? I'm doing well. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. You know, life is weird like that. You know, like, personally... Um, you know, I couldn't be doing better as an individual with my family and everything and the careers going well, but you know, just seeing what's happening with our country, it's, it makes it hard to try to enjoy the blessings, uh, that you may have as an individual when you see all the hurt and everything that's going on with, with everyone else It's really a, a confliction, you know, kind of going on in that regard. Yeah. And as a non-black person, like I felt like I really couldn't do anything. Like I stick, I skipped my podcast last week because I felt like it didn't feel like the right time to talk about it. Because I feel like, you know, we should amplify the what's going on with the protests and everything. Um, you know, we we're in a. I hope we're in a turning point in, our, in this country right now. So, you know, and I decided like, hey, you know what? I gotta get you on here because you've been a prominent voice for the black people for so long now. Like. You started Black Sports Online purely because you want to give black people a voice in sports. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I tell people all the time because, you know, you know how it is. Anytime you have any type of uh, outlet, uh, you're going to get criticism for maybe the content that you put up or what you're talking about on your podcast or positions on sports. And I'm not immune to any of that. But I've always told people in the end, uh, the reason that BSO exists is for basically times, you know, like this. Sometimes it's sports-related. Other times it's just just human, you know, rights, you know, related. In, in a time where uh, the media uh, is a little iffy in how they, you know, cover things of race and police brutality and things like that, I feel like that independence that I have really gives me an opportunity to show people kind of what's really going on um, out there, uh, what's really happening, uh, I can go a little bit deeper into it. I don't have to worry about, you know, passing it through five, six editors um, and maybe offending somebody at corporate or anything like that. And I think that's important because I think the one thing that social media has allowed um, is it allows people, especially when they're getting the videos and the tweets and the Instagram and the Snapchats from people actually there on the ground, you see what's really, really going on and you don't have to be, um, you don't have to be influenced by maybe what mainstream media uh, is putting out there and what potential biases they, they have with the information that they put out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you mentioned off the record, like we've seen so many of this going on. Ferguson, mm-hmm. right? Like We talked about this recently. And uh, we've seen many, unfortunately, black, ple- black people get, let's, let's just say it, get murdered by the police, right? Uh, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Lloyd, just for doing mundane things, really, right? Mm. So, why was this the breaking point? What what took so long? Well, I mean, first off, that's that's the frustrating things. I think the first the first time in my life I really really saw you know like police brutality. Uh, was like Rodney King. So we're talking yes. about early, you know, nineties. And, and I, I saw that. those yeah. top, mm-hmm. uh, I, I saw that. I saw those riots on TV, the LA riots, and I thought to myself, well, this could never, you know, happen again because it's on tape. 
Uh, you know, we protested and we rioted. Uh, this could never happen, you know, again. And I saw those cops uh, get off, uh, found innocent, even though it was on tape. And, you know, from that point on, you know, it happens, it happens. I think, I think what you're seeing now, probably in the last, I would say, five to ten years, is that really it, things haven't changed as much as the technology uh, has changed to the fact that now we're seeing the incidents more often uh, because they're being recorded, because there's videotape surveillance, all of these other things that we didn't have, you know, back in the day. Uh, I think the real difference with George Floyd is, first off, I think it was an escalation uh, from, you know, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor happening in a short time period. And then it seemed like the culmination of that was George Floyd. And also the fact that the George Floyd video uh, is different than a lot of other videos. A lot of the other videos, you're seeing it, but you're seeing it from a distance, or maybe it's a little grainy, or it doesn't have the full, you know, thing that happened. And what it does, that gives people opportunity to say, oh, well, maybe he did this, or maybe he did that, or we don't know the full story, and X, Y, and Z. Well, that, that's not the case in the George Floyd situation, because you literally have 10 minutes of a police officer slowly murdering a man while he begs for his mother, telling people that he can't breathe. It's clear. It's direct. It's right in your face. And I mean, I think honestly, most people can't say that they've ever seen a person physically die, you know, in front of them. Um, and we all have flat screen TVs and iMacs and iPhones. And it was clear as day. And I think that was the straw that kind of broke the camel's back. Like it's it's they they want us to believe that it's gotten better. But reality is we're seeing that it's getting worse and it's escalating. And that starts up top, you know, with Trump. That he's escalating it, and we have to do something, or we're not going to have another country for the next, you know, four years. Right. That's the thing, and it's so frustrating too to like to see. Um, you know, obviously we're part of media, but you see most of mainstream media saying it's an alleged murder, or they're using different words. It's like, you know, um, he he died by you know asphyxiation or whatever. You know, they're using different words instead of saying, oh, he was murdered by the police. Or whatever. It's so frustrating to see that, and I don't know. Maybe I do know why they're doing it like that, but it's just so frustrating to see that. You know what I mean? It's it's the media and people in power in general mm-hmm. um, don't. A lot of them don't seem to be on, on our side. It's it's very crazy to me to see people in our country uh, can see that video. And not 100% say, hey, this person needs to be in jail. Uh, this is a crime. To see people... Oops, sorry about that. It's okay. Uh, to, to see people fight back against that, it's scary, really. I mean, we did a story today about a guy that's a correctional officer, and he's out there mocking the death of George Floyd by putting his knee in his brother's you know, back and everything. We've done stories since this happened um, of individuals who on social media have shown to be, you know, racist or prejudiced, and almost to a to a T, those individuals are owners of companies or high high level positions in whatever jobs that they're in, meaning that they have extreme influence on people who get loans, equipment, jobs, financial needs, things of that nature, and they have these type of. Uh, feelings towards you know African Americans and just people 
in general. Uh, like someone said to me, I said, it feels like, you know, a civil war. And they said to me, that's like, hey, you know, maybe the civil war just never, never stopped. It's just been different forms of it. And we're, we're still at a head where a good part of our country really, you know, seems to hate uh, black people wanting any type of equality uh, in a country that's supposed to be uh, about freedom. And, and that's what's ironic of it all. Yeah, there is just this bias against black people. So let me tell you this, right? I'm a Filipino-American, and uh, in my early life, and I'm hoping I don't get heard by my family here, but <laughs> I've been told to hate the black man early on. Because for, for, I think it's just because, you know, the white man told him, or, you know, that's what's being told in society, that you, you must hate the black man because... They're threatening. They're gonna, you know, do a lot of bad things and whatnot, you know. But that's changed over the years because I've obviously had many black friends over time. So I don't. I find that really, you know, stupid that they, that they, you know, find you guys threatening. And I saw a video from WWE wrestler slash gamer Xavier Woods saying, uh, they do all these things just so. They don't look threatening. They become athletes or, you know, politicians or whatever. Just so you just fit, fit in the white man society and not look threatening. Is that how it feels for you, too? I, I think uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually talked about that uh, today on my live stream. Is that throughout, you know, the last hundred years, uh, if you watch anything on TV, you watch media, you watch things today, uh, the, the perception is that the black man, the black person, is violent, criminal, animal, savage, uh, you know, barbaric individual. But if you actually go through the history of our country, the violence, not you know, ninety nine percent of the time, the violence is towards us. You know, when right. we were when we were slaves, we, you know, we wasn't whipping the, the owners. The owners were whipping us. Yeah. You know, we wasn't raping anybody. They were raping our wives and children and, and daughters and all of this stuff. And we go through the you know civil rights era. You know, we wasn't putting dogs on people. We wasn't going out there with water hoses. We wasn't trying to let little kids, you know, get their education. We wasn't getting beat. We wasn't beating the police. They were beating us. Mm -hmm. And you see that going into 2020, you know, where just yesterday you see Peter King you know, SI, big media person, basically calling us savages yeah. because we can like what Drew Brees said. Yeah. And so it's, it's a history of making the black man look, you know, angry. Mm -hmm. So to the point that if you really think about it, the stereotypes of this country, right? Mm -hmm. If a black man or a black woman shows any type of emotion, it's like you're the angry black man, you're the angry black woman. Right. Uh, a white man that does that is seen as strong, Mm -hmm. masculine, a go-getter, a take-charge individual, you know, so I do feel, to answer your question, that a lot of people have been, black people have been emasculated uh, by this because they feel like they can't function, and when I say function, I just mean like living just a yeah. day without stress, without being submissive you know, to everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. And there was a time probably in my life that, you know, I was like, hey, you got to dress like this. You got to talk like this. You got to do this. You got to appease this if you want, especially if you want to work 
in the media industry. Right. And honestly, I mean, it got to a point where I'm like, you know, if I'm going to fail, if I'm not going to succeed, I want to do it being myself. Right. And if, I, if it doesn't work being myself, I just don't want to do it. And I got to that point where I'm like, I'm not going to be submissive. I mean, I'll tell you just a quick, a quick little story is mm-hmm. that, you know, um, you know, Jason Whitlock, you know, left FS1 um, and the Speak for Yourself. And I thought I'd be good, you know, for the, the job. I think I'd be good as a host uh, for that show and maybe save it. You know, but when I, I expressed that to people, I didn't express it like I would get up there and shuck and jive like Jason Whitlock. <laughs> I told him, hey, the show is, is, is toxic. In a way, and it, I can help it not be toxic, but it's not. I'm not going to do those same things. So if that's what you think, then you know don't consider me. But if you're willing to consider, you know, making a show that people could actually be proud of, and not every time you go viral is toxic, then I'm someone that you should consider. Like just being honest as a black person is empowering, but unfortunately, a lot of black people are not in the position to be able to do that. Yeah, that's awful. And the thing is, it's like we go back to, um, like Xavier would said, like achieving something so that you don't look threatening. Uh, speaking cool. of people not taking off their uniforms, Thomas Fawcett, Sterling Brown, they got accosted cool. by police too. So they're not even safe in that realm. It's it's so frustrating, right? <laughs> it's scary because we're not safe anywhere. You know, you you always hear excuses, right? Like yeah. you know. Uh, you know, if you comply, everything will be all right. Mm-hmm. But then you see something like uh, Fidel uh, Castle, who was shot in his car, for literally telling the cop the truth mm-hmm. about him having a firearm, a legal one. And you don't see the NRA, you know, coming to his defense. You don't see Trump coming to his defense. You know, you could be jogging. You could be walking. You could be just minding your own business. It's a, it's a paranoia and a stress on black people that other people don't have mm-hmm. and you know if you you know everything in your body they say any type of problems that you have uh, can all be linked back to stress stress exasperates any sickness you know that you have mm-hmm. so just imagine your entire life even if you're doing well like you know i'm not doing bad i'm doing pretty good for myself right but i'm like hmm, it's the coronavirus and you know putting on some weight so i want to jog around my complex but you know what happened to Ahmaud Arbery. Mm-hmm. That's, that is wild that you're, on, you're, you're paying for your house, your mortgage, like everybody else. You got a job, you vote, you don't have any criminal record. But literally thinking, hmm, I got to pay attention when I'm jogging just around my own complex because I saw what they did to another black man. That type of stress is unhealthy, mm-hmm. but that's the stress that pretty much every black person in America deals with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something that I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like, I, even though I'm a minority, I don't go through through that bad of a time like you guys, right? Because it's because um, they they just don't get it. Like, I will never understand it, and they shouldn't understand it. They they you know they have these first world problems that to compare themselves to you guys, and we're just like, like no, it's not even close. They're thinking about their lives here. <laughs> I think something like Drew Brees' wife was like, uh, I thought just not being racist was enough. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, liking Barack Obama was enough. Yeah. Because they don't think past that. They're like, well, I'm not racist. And, you know, so that means, you know, that's that's where it stops. You know, they don't think like, hmm, I'm Drew Brees and I'm taking, you know, photos with Donald Trump. 
all they think is, hey, I'm taking photos with the president. They don't think, right? Mm-hmm. They don't think like, hmm, how is that actually going to affect how how Donald Trump, you know, uses that for political gain and the fact that I'm taking pictures with a guy that will tear gas, you know, people so he can take a photo op, you know, by a church with a Bible that he's never read. Like, they don't think beyond that. I think sometimes white people, they don't think beyond, like, the damage, the damage that they could do from not, just from certain things. Like, I don't think Drew Brees is racist, right? Mm-hmm. But I think Drew Brees was just thinking about Drew Brees. And Drew Brees is mine saying, hey, you know, I feel like people should stand for the anthem because I've had people in the military and blah, blah, blah. To him, he's just like, I'm talking for myself. He doesn't even think that, wait a minute, maybe my grandfather actually fought aside, fought, you know, next to next to a black man in the war. And what did that black man have to go through when he came back, you know, in right. the 50s or whatever? Like, they don't think, you know, long term. They're only thinking because, none, like you said, it's first world problems. None of this other stuff really affects them. Yeah. And they really only understand that it affects them when a bunch of people call them out and maybe their brand is in trouble. Then they finally listen and realize, wait a minute, oh, I can see why someone would be upset about that. We need people to start thinking about that, though, before we have to call them out. Mm-hmm. Because then we would eliminate these type of things from happening. Mm-hmm. Do you think Drew Brees is telling the truth with his apology? I think Drew Brees initially probably was just caught off guard by the pushback that he got. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, it wasn't the first time Drew Brees had said that. Yes. But in 2016, it was a different time frame because Trump, we had had basically four years of Trump beating us down, basically. So when Drew Brees said it at first, I, you know, I think everybody just kind of... That whole, it's the, it's the anthem, it's the flag, it's the military. A lot of people were riding with that. And I think he thought that was perfectly fine. And then he gets all of this pushback, and he doesn't understand why, because he said it before. And I, I don't know if he is, I don't think he, he, he felt sorry for what he said. I think he meant what he said. I think the part that he feels sorry for, like I said, is that he didn't take the time to realize what he was saying, the damage and the hurt and the pain it causes people because we're like, dude, you're Drew Brees. You in New Orleans of all places. You were there with Katrina. You should know more than anything what black people go through. And you're so dismissive uh, about the, the what people are kneeling for, what they're protesting about. I think maybe he understands that. Now, if he's a good person, now, if he's just somebody that cares about Drew Brees, this is all probably public relations. But if he's truly a good person, like some people say he is, then, yeah, I do think, you know, his eyes have been open to the stupidity that he was saying. And, and the, it, it's so frustrating because, like, he, he was, I'm sure he was told this in 2016. It's not about the flag, right? It's about yeah. what it stood for, what, Ka- what Kaepernick stood for, police brutality, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I mean, it, all these people, like, I saw somebody today say, hey, I didn't know that Nate Boyer told, you know, the Green Beret told Kathy Chanel instead of sit like to me if you're saying that you don't you didn't realize this before either you didn't care or you're lying yeah because it's always out there it actually even the stuff that Cap said from the beginning mm-hmm. about no this is not about the military this is about America standing up you know for the things that they say that they, that the country stands for freedom equality you know everybody getting a fair shake all of these quotes from Cap this video from Cap Nate Boyer, 
All of this stuff is readily available <laughs> if you wanted to see it. But instead, I think a lot of times people want to hear what they want to hear. And, it, and they want it. It doesn't matter. And that's what I always say about opinions. Everybody's entitled to opinions. But when your opinion is factually wrong and you still stick with it, then to me that's not an opinion anymore. You're just trying to say that I don't like the person or I don't like black people or whatever it may be. Because there's no way that after four years, Drew Brees, at no point somebody told him that, you know something, this is not what we're doing it for. It's totally different. You know why? Because I know I told him in 2016, added him directly and said that to him. I don't know if you saw my tweet, but I'm sure I wasn't the only one. Right. And he even wore the socks that depicted cops as pigs. Like, how can you forget that? (laughs) Right? I'm sure I didn't, but I don't know. I'm just... It's just frustrating when you just ignore or dismiss the information that's readily available. And it's so easy to process, too. I don't know. Like, I just said in a tweet a few days ago that does Drew Brees have, like, a, the um, the the perspective of, like, a dead tree bark or something? Like, yeah. <laughs> does he know what's going on? That's like, why I think, that's why I always think they just don't want to know. Yeah. Like, if you want to know, use your eyes. It's like the, the, the police or the media say something like, Look at the Black Lives Matters people rioting and looting. Mm-hmm. And then they show a video of white people breaking windows. I'm like, are we are we just doing it on purpose now? Or you yeah. you, you know, do you do you just not want to see the truth? You know, we talk about like violence and stuff, like look, you know, do we see a video, there's four cops in riot gear, batons, stun grenades, rubber bullets, all this they're beating up women. Yeah. I've literally seen them show no we're going to beat up old men. They're beating up old men, and then they have Trump behind them saying, oh, well, maybe he was a setup. Maybe the 75 guy decided to slam his head on the concrete where there's blood leaking out of it. When you have the president basically co-signing these conspiracies, and people, they just go along with it. It just said they're evil, evil people in this world. There's no way that good people can see this stuff and be okay with it. Yeah. Trump's another story, which I really don't want to get into, obviously, but <laughs> we can talk about that off the record. But um, continuing with this, so uh, when this happened, all I could think of is like, oh, man, I got to check out my black friends and I got to retweet stuff and read read up on all these threads and read up on everything. I'm not sure if I'm doing it the right way, but I care. So... What do you tell who someone who's not black? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you tell them? Like how to help? How to help you guys? How to well, the first guys? thing is the the most important thing is don't do anything against us. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. like, like like don't. I, I would rather people be silent mm-hmm. than say something stupid and right. say something wrong, anything like that. But furthermore. Mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes people, white white people, say, "Well, what can I do?" Like it's a complicated, you know. Thing. It's to me, it's not complicated at all. First off, condemn, you know, racism. You know, condemn police brutality. It should be as easy as that. If you see it, mm-hmm. speak on it, mm-hmm. and, and condemn it. I mean, you don't have to be. You don't have to have word, write a thousand word piece. You don't have to have a two hundred and eighty character, you know, tweet. You say, "Hey, I'm against racism. I'm against police brutality." You know, if you see, like you said, if you see videos and articles, uh, 
you know, retweet them, post them, put them on your social media. And maybe the most important thing that you can do is that I think we all got friends, you know, that their friend and their necessarily their ideology doesn't line up with ours, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have, if you're white and you have friends that are racist, uh, sexist, or just bad people in general, you know, either try to educate them or maybe cut ties because. I know when, when I find people that are problematic in my life, especially now mm-hmm. as I've gotten older, you know, I don't want to be associated with those people because I feel like that association bleeds off, you know, on me. So to me, that's the best thing you can do. You don't have to do a lot. Just don't do anything negative for us. Don't throw an all lives matter thing out there. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. You know, all lives matter, but, you know, we're talk- don't throw out a black-on-black crime. and Like, just don't do stuff like that and also... You know, when you see stuff, condemn it. Be on the right side of history. Hey, and maybe the most important thing, the most important, go vote. Because black people can't win an election by itself. Mexican people can't win an election by themselves. The only way we can get out of the bad people is if white people, who still are, you know, the majority of people in this country, are come over to our side and get people in that really care about this country. As we saw earlier also... (laughs) Voting gets suppressed in Georgia. <laughs> so, oh my God! Yeah, so it's, they're doing everything. Like, I saw the, the story about the lady that was trying to get to vote in the, the the black neighborhood, and it took her two, three hours, and she walked over to the or drove over to the white neighborhood and just walked right in. And I'm I can attest to that, right? Because um, there, when I was in St. Louis, mm-hmm. um, you know, I grew up in a in a in the or the north side of St. Louis, which would be considered like the hood, quote unquote, mm-hmm. right? And when I was in my early twenties, I would go to vote. I would literally go to anything, not just vote, vote, DMV, government assist, anything that had to do with the government. If you did it on that side of town, you knew you were going to have to wait for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then as I as I got a little older, I moved out. Maybe no more than 20, 25 minutes away. I mean, Missouri, St. Louis is not a huge city. 20, 25 minutes away into a better neighborhood. And I remember I would go vote. I walk in, I walk right out. Either my license renewed or my tags renewed. Walk in right. But I, I remember actually this is a true story. I had hit my head when I was a kid uh, running down the steps. And I had to go to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And I went to the emergency room in the hood. And they didn't see me for like six or seven hours. Oh, my God. And then I remember my, my thankfully, I don't go to the hospital a lot. But once I had moved out to where I was out, my friend um, was having some, like, chest pains and palpitations or something. So we rushed him to the emergency room, you know, out where we stayed at, you know, later on in life. And as soon as he got in there, rode him right in, had a doctor, had an IV, had tests going on, all within, like, 20 minutes. Wow. Like, it's it's two different countries. We're in the same country, but it's like two different worlds that we live in. And I think the people that live on the good side of the country don't want the the bad side to catch up. And that's the really scarier part about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the system is broken, and well, it's more like the system is rigged for the white man and the rich, basically, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. Um, and by the way. We still have a global pandemic going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. this, it's so insane how the year 2020 has been the most insane of years. Like, mm-hmm. we have we have the protests going on. Uh, we have the police being corrupt, being found out as corrupt. I say found out because most of these people don't know that, right? Um, mm-hmm. 
and of course the global pandemic going on and like I know we're we're both in we're both in the LA area. Right. <laughs> Do you agree with this reopening right now? <laughs> I just I just every year it's it, we have every, the year before we always say well yeah, I remember twenty sixteen said well twenty seventeen would be our year it wasn't yeah then twenty eighteen was gonna be the year like no that wasn't it either the twenty nineteen and it's twenty twenty and it's like. Damn, what else? I mean, is Asteroid going to hit 2021? I mean, it's. I think that it, the scary part to me is that if we reopen smartly, I think we would, you know, people would be okay. But what happens is, and I've seen this, and I, like we've only been like slightly reopened in LA for a little bit. I, you know, I go to, you know, pick up my wife some food or something, and nobody in there with a mask on. Nobody's social distancing. You know, it's just, it's like, it's like we want it to, to, to come back. For some reason, and now I'm concerned because with all these protests and everything, there's a lot of people, you know, congregating in, in one place, and I, I just, I just, don't, I don't know if it comes, what if it comes back in the fall and all this stuff happens. I, I, our country is supposed to be like a superpower, you know. We're supposed, <laughs> we're supposed to be the United States of America, the country that all the other countries look up to, right? We're supposed to be this beacon of thing, but. If you really look at it with an unbiased eye, right? If you really just look at our country, and if you didn't know anything about it, you would say we're not better than a lot of other countries, and we may be worse than a lot, honestly. And that's a scary thing since we are supposed to be the country that everyone looks up to. Yeah, the United Stupid of America. Um, right. <laughs> Yeah, the the thing is, it's like we have the NBA coming back July thirty first, and they don't even have a concrete plan on how to do the testing. So I'm just kind of like, what are you guys doing? Or is this just sort of like a, well, let's just it's a trial and error thing? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's. I think nobody really has a good answer because I don't think we've ever had to deal with anything like this before. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think you have some people like Dana White that says, ah, some people you know get sick. Who cares? Loves I get my money. I think the NBA wants, you know, I think the NBA wants to do the right thing, but they also know that without a season, you know, there's a lot of money that's going down the drain. But I'm concerned because what, let's, you know, what happens if there's a series? Let's say it's the Clippers and the Lakers, right? And in game four, you know, LeBron catches the coronavirus or Anthony Davis or, or Kawhi Leonard. Like, it's going to be weird. It, it seems like... I would be shocked with 22 teams, all of those people, that somebody doesn't catch it. And then what do you do? Because you're all locked in the to, in, in Disney world. It's it's You're hoping for the best. You know what I mean? Like, you hope we can get through this and we have a vaccine maybe by next year and too many people don't die. But, you know, in the midst of all of this protest and all this stuff going on with George Floyd, I keep an eye on the numbers and they're going up. As soon as we they let they let people back in, they go when who knows how many they not uh, you know going to the doctor and, and stuff like that. I just I hope it doesn't crash because if we get another crash like a serious one, you know we may w end up wiping out all of twenty twenty one as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you speak of numbers. I believe California has its highest week of cases of coronavirus since the pandemic yep. started. Yeah, that is true. That that is true. I, I, I saw the numbers. Florida has went up um, as well uh, because as soon as you, I mean, as soon as you give you know Californians an inch, you know they're gonna take twelve, you know, five yards. So you know they're out 
and about and, and as if nothing has happened. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, this is why we had to shut down in the first place is because nobody follows the rules and everything. We're such a big uh, state too. Yeah. It's hard to get a, you know, a hold of. So mm-hmm. it's almost feels like they're getting to a certain point where everybody, the government, the actual people of this country is like, you know something, I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to chance it. If I get sick and die, it is what it is. It's <laughs> kind of a scary thought, but that's how I feel like some people are taking this. Yeah. We saw these pictures, too, about people in Las Vegas, and as if nothing's, nothing's mm-hmm. happening. And I'm just like, wow. Why? What are you doing? It's As soon as it opened. Yeah. Like, as soon as it opened, everybody's in there. They have no mask on. They're walking around. They're congregating. They're not following the rules. The rules are not being enforced. And everything because in the end i think the the you know blood is red but money is green and green care, people care more about green than they do about blood and red so i think what happens is las vegas which obviously their whole thing is tourism they're willing to sacrifice people to get back open you know so things because as soon as soon as they were back open i got emails from all the you know because it covered the fights and all of this stuff so right. i've been there a million times I'm always even, hey, come, we'll give you $50 rooms, we'll give you $100 vouchers. And uh, they don't care. They want as many people there as possible. <laughs> and it's sad because, you know, even though we're talking about a bunch of different things, right, you know, there are families when they have to deal with this and deal with losing a loved one that they really shouldn't have. It's, it's sad. I, and I really don't have an answer of how we can make it better. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so... Uh... Let's say you're the emperor or the ruler of all the United States of America. You get it. You have a say on all the sports, all the businesses. What would you do? Well, I think what I would have did initially was if you really wanted to clean it, you should just shut down for the year. Like, I would have just shut down for the year. Like, I I think what people, I don't know about you, Mm -hmm. but, yeah, I I miss sports just like everybody else. Yeah. I'm still functioning. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still living. Like, I'm still, like, life is going on. Like, it's not, it's not like I'm crushed, you know, by the fact that there is no sports. I think the, the thing that would have been best off if we just waited until there was a vaccine, hopefully in early 2021, and just start up, you know, fresh, you know, from there. I think that would have been the safest, uh, you know, way to do it. Uh, but, you know, money's involved, and I think that's why people are wanting to come back. I mean, I would shut, shut down. I, you know, I think every day I'm like... Well, how would this would have been different if President Obama was still the president? Like, mm-hmm. how would this have been handled better? You know, maybe it would have been handled better from the beginning. Therefore, then the sports wouldn't have been pushed back, you know, so much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's I just it, it, it's just our country is just not functioning overall well. So we can't handle anything that's thrown at us. So, yeah, if I was the emperor, I mean, I would have shut down the NBA <laughs> I would have shut down pretty much anything in the, 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 the spring and fall. And then maybe, you know, in the fall, see where we're at. But now, I think just the way that the states are back opening and everything, it's, you know, you're taking a risk and the sports are willing to do that. Yeah, I figured there'd be a lot of stop and go over the next couple of years mm-hmm. because of what's happening. So, we didn't mention the NHL. They're going on as well. MLB is having a fight over money. And right. the NFL has their indication of postpone the season that they're going to go on regardless of what's happening so right. that's where we're at oh also pro wrestling never stopped are you never surprised stopped. about that never stopped yeah i just i mean some people just you know go straight through i mean 
Data White wanted to go straight through, he had to be stopped. That's the thing when you have an independent organization like the WWE. Nobody, they find a place that'll let them do it. With Florida was the place. Yeah. Uh, then they, you know, they go through with it, and it's, you know, a couple of people got caught with the coronavirus. The the stadiums, they want to make sure the Rams Stadium and the Raiders Stadium are, are ready, so they let them work through it, and a bunch of people caught it. It's like <laughs> it seems like people are willing to sacrifice uh, lives uh, for dollars. And we really shouldn't be like that, but I can't say that I'm surprised that we are. Yeah. AEW is also doing it as well. They never stopped either, although they were smarter about it because they, I think they taped like five or six weeks worth of shows before they mm-hmm. they took a break or whatever and before they finally came back live. So, yeah, so <laughs> this is this is where we are as a country, man. Like, it's it's ridiculous how, did you ever think that there were so many stupid people in this country or just in humanity in general? Because that's well, what I think. Something I always thought, uh, especially like as we got into the 2000s and 2010s, mm-hmm. I, always, I felt like for a while our country was actually getting closer to the idea of, you know, everyone is equal, everyone is, you know, the racism and all of that stuff. And I, I felt like for a very long time, I was like, well, the majority of people here are good people, like, you know, 75, 80%. And the, the, the people that aren't good, they're just loud. That's what I figured. Like, maybe it's 20%, maybe it's 15, maybe it's 25. They're just really, really loud. And loud people sometimes get the most attention. But for a long time, I thought that, hey, the majority of people in the United States of America are not bad people. They're good people, right? Then, you know, everything happened. And I thought to myself, how? How could this happen if... 80% of the people are good. And it started me to get dialed back. It's like, you know something? Maybe that's not true. You know, maybe, you know, there are good people in this country, but maybe it's an equal amount of people that, like you said, are stupid or racist or prejudiced or dumb or whatever it may be. And it's like half and half. And that realization comes to you and you be like, it's 2020. That's really screwed up. Considering what we've come from as a country, we should be better than this by now mm-hmm. you know we you know we should be we shouldn't we shouldn't be talking about the same things that happened in 1960 and 60 years later it's more or less the exact same stuff that's happening that's a little scary you know to think about that things that are happening 60 years ago is still happening now in broad daylight and the only difference is that we got we got it on camera that's a scary thing to say that we haven't grown as much as a country. We've grown technology-wise. Right. We've grown with, with mass incarceration. We've grown with military. We've grown with the police force. We government has grown. So we've grown in other ways, but our actual core of how we treat each other hasn't grown very much in 60 years. And that's really scary. Yeah. Honestly, I never thought I would have this conversation in my lifetime Mm. right like because we always thought oh we're getting better as a country like you mentioned Mm -hmm. (laughs) but here we are now you know it just escalated to this and it's it's just scary that like you said we really haven't changed since 1960s or even like say the 1860s right i I made i made this mistake when i was a teenager right (laughs) i always thought the, my generation would be different 
than the generation I would imagine that came out of the civil rights movement because I can definitely see white people being racist a lot in the civil rights movement, right? Yes. But I figured that my generation, who you know, born in the late seventies, early eighties, you know, teenagers in the nineties, and young adults in the two thousands, just because of our ability to be able to understand more of the culture and things of that nature, I felt like that my generation was going to be the generation that was going to really cut down on some of this racism and all of this stuff. Well, I guess what I failed to take into consideration was is that racism is like a, a family business. <laughs> you know? Yes. Like, like it's passed down from generation to generation to generation uh, for a lot of people. And a lot of people don't break that cycle. A lot of people stay exactly where they're at because that's where their father was at. That's where their grandfather was at. That's where their great-great-father was at. And I realized that my generation, yeah, we grew up, and I'm sure there are some people that grew up in my generation because they were exposed to more people and more situations, didn't become racist, but there was a, a ton that just picked up what their father picked up, picked up what their grandfather picked up, and their great-great-grandfather picked up. Because a lot of these people that I'm seeing that we expose as racist, they're the same age as me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're in the 30s, early 40s. Right. So it's my generation. I'm like, how? How? How can my generation be like, I thought we were going to be one better. And it scares me because I'm like, well, is the next generation going to be better? Or does it just get passed down? And when me and you, Ray, mm-hmm. when we're like 60, 70, 80, you know, in the old folks' home, are we going to be like, yeah, I remember this happening in 2020. And it's happening in 2060 now. Like, yeah. That's a scary thought for me. It really is. Yeah. Now, here we are hoping that generation z would be better right and the generation after that i think it's generation alpha or whatever it is called we hope they're better than this so like i'm telling like my nephews and nieces like they're nine six and four well four is still too young but we're just telling them to be kind to other people and that's all we can really do at this point right so it's It's a crazy thing because ray it's it's and i think sometimes people misunderstand this it's like black people and i think minorities in general, we don't want anything. We don't want anything extra. Yeah. We don't want like special treatment or anything. We just want to be really left alone <laughs> and treated like human beings. Like it's not a lot yeah. that we're asking for. I mean, we just asking for hey, if I apply for a loan and a white person apply for a loan and we both got the same credit score, we both make the same amount of money that you know we get the same interest rate. Like it's I was breaking it down. Like it's it's as simple as that. It's like we don't want anything extra. We don't want anything more than anybody else. We just don't want to feel like everything that we do is under a spotlight. We're stereotyped about everything, and we're not getting fair treatment. For whatever reason, I think racist people and white supremacist people, they feel like if they give us equality, we're going to, like, overrun the country or something. Like, they're scared <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that, you know, we're going to do some sort of revolt or some sort of coup, and they're not going to be able to live their privileged lives or anything. Like, that's not it. We, we just don't want to be bothered. Like... We want to just be able to jog. We just want to be able to drive our cars and just do go to work. You know, like we don't want anything extra just to not be bothered. Like I said, every protest, every riot for the last hundred years, as more or less, has been predicated on police brutality. What that means is we're not going out of our way to just break stuff. We're not going out of our way to riot and protest. We don't want to have to protest another person dying in the street we would like to just live our life 
and just mind our business. And that's the problem that we're having right now. That's the only reason you're doing a revolt in the first place. And and they right. think you're coming after their spots or whatever it is. It's like, no, you guys just want to live normal lives. Exactly. That's it. And, you know, like, again, um, I'm not white, but I do get I do get a lot of privileges myself because I don't get stopped by, by cops very often like you guys just because of the color of our skin. Although, you know what? Like I said earlier, like... Uh, the the black man is looked at as evil to my family. They did not want me to go out in the sun to get tanned. That's how bad it is. Mm. You know? That's, right? That's yeah, yeah. Right? And the funny yeah, thing is that I mentioned that on Twitter like 10 years ago where I said, I even said, I even made that mistake of saying that. It's like, man, I don't want to get tanned. And mm. a black man told me, he's like, why do you say that for? I'm like, um... My parents told me. That's all I could say. All right, all right. That's all I could say. But really, there's no offense of being darker. <laughs> there's not nothing. So it, it's yeah, it's it's crazy. It's really crazy that some of the things that are supposed to be protection for, like if the police work the way that it's supposed to work, right? Mm -hmm. You should be happy to see the cop, right? Yeah. You should be like the cop is trying to protect me. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the it's protect and serve is literally in their little slogan and everything. It's crazy that you could be driving and not doing anything wrong and you see those cop sirens or you just see a cop behind you and you get nervous, right? You get you get you get concerned. Like you would think cops would wouldn't want that reputation, but it's almost like they like it. They like to put that fear, you know, in in the people. And like you said with your parents. You know, you're a good one because your parents told you something, but you got out in the world and realized that, you know, none of that stuff is true. But so many people, they don't want to disappoint their parents, even if they don't feel that way. Or they like, well, mom, you know, you're, you're, everything about your life starts when you pop out what your mom and dad are telling. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're trained basically by your parents. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people always feel the same way that their parents feel. And parents sometimes are not right. Yeah. To be fair, Pops is doing better at that, so. Don't don't cut at him so badly. <laughs> so that's it. yeah, I mean, my mom just you know it's not just it's not just you. Mm -hmm. Like I, it happens in the opposite way. Like my mom, you know, was very 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 did not like white people. Mm -hmm. Like she, you know, the white man was the devil. The white man was this. The white man is that. Don't trust the white man. White. It was always that from from my mom. She did not like associate or anything like that. So when I was you know, 11 or 12 years old, I see a white guy, you know, just be like, hi, a white guy be like, hi, and I, you know, don't talk, I, I'm like, run, like it was a, he's gonna kidnap me or something. Right. You know, so it's like, you don't realize this stuff when you're getting this drilled into your head as a kid, mm -hmm. that, you know, I, you know, not every white person is a terrible person, but yeah. some black people, especially older black people, because they had to go through the civil rights, that's how they feel uh, about that. Yeah. Man. What a crazy world we're living in, seriously. Like, wow. I, I'm still, I'm still like just thinking about what's going on right now inside in the world, and it's just crazy to me that we're still talking about this in 2020. I can't get over it. You know? It's, it, it's, it's the saddest part of it to me is that, especially as I get older, mm -hmm. I'm like, ah, I thought it would. I, I honestly thought things would be better. I thought we were moving in the right uh, direction, but honestly, I understand now, you know, where my parents and other older people would tell me, 
Because when you're young, you, you have all this optimism, right? Because you're young. You're young and stupid. Yeah. So you think everything is going to be great. And then you realize, you know, you see things differently when you become a parent or when you become older and everything. And it, like I said, that's the scary part to me. I don't want in, in 20, you know, 30, in 2040, in 2050, you know, God willing that I'm still here, you know, to still have to be doing this. Like, I shouldn't, you know, to, to have to be doing these stories on my website after so many long, it's like, it's frustrating to me. Like, it shouldn't be like this. And, and that's, it gets frustrating. But you got to keep the hope because if you don't, if you don't have any hope, then all of a sudden you're just spiraling into mental health issues and, and things like that. So I try to keep the hope, but you know, the only thing we can do is just you know, keep fighting, keep fighting back and, and hopefully that change will come. Yeah, because that's what they want to do is wear us down. No, they want to break us. Absolutely. Yeah, we're gonna keep fighting, man. We're gonna keep fighting. So absolutely. Yeah, and I'm gonna tell you this right now, as I've known you for the longest time, <laughs> for like more than a decade now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I just want to tell you this: I'm always on your side. So please don't forget that. Well, I appreciate that. Like I said, you 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 know me, you know more or less from the beginning, at least from when yeah. I, I you know got semi popular. Um, and so I appreciate all of you. I always remember all of these guys because you guys would back when when I, people barely read me, you know, you would retweet my stories and, and like you know did what I was doing. So and you know I've always been there for you. We had we both had our ups and downs in this yeah. business. Yeah. So so we we have to remember who 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 got us where you know where we're at. Yeah. And I definitely appreciate you. Yes, sir. So go ahead and. Uh... Tell everybody where we, where they can find you on the internet, social media, all that stuff. Go ahead. So your Black Sports Online site. We just did a new uh, redesign. Mm -hmm. uh, so I hope everybody likes that. A little bit cleaner, a little bit fresher, a little bit updated for for 2020. Uh, Twitter's BSO, Facebook is Black Sports Online, Instagram's BSO TV. Uh, you cannot catch me on national television every day, Monday through Friday, on FS1, TMZ Sports, mm -hmm. uh, 9 Pacific. Uh, midnight Eastern, and then replay uh, early in the morning before first things uh, first. Mm -hmm. You can find me on Twitter at the No Look Pass. You can find archives and episodes of this podcast either on rarity.net slash fun or wherever you can find podcasts like Apple, uh, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, whatever. You can find Rarity's Fundamental right there. So that is Robert Latall. He is the emperor. <laughs> I am Ray Ray. Remember this. Black Lives Matter. Don't forget that. Thanks, guys.